Let's begin. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Go ahead and read verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, as we delve into this one subject, Lord, it's, it's not going to be heard easily by most. We live in a day and age where we do not care about serving. We are very important in our own eyes. And we don't realize just how wrong we are and how needy the call is for servants. So Lord, I pray, please, grab our hearts, change our hearts, help us to ignore all the reasons why we do not serve you and serve others. And may we never be content with what we currently do. God, that we would really passionately seek to be a servant of all, because that's what you did. Lord, we wouldn't be saved today. There'd be nobody in this room who'd know the love of God if it weren't for some servant who took some time and gave us the gospel and prayed for us and gave us a track and, and invited us out to church. And Lord, uh, somebody ministered to us. May we turn around and minister to a world that's in need of the gospel today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Okay. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Usually, when, we, uh, when there is a need for workers and for helpers in a church or in a business, we usually say things like, we need someone to step up and fill the gap. We need someone who will meet the need. But Jesus didn't say that. He actually used exactly the opposite kind of words when he had a call for helpers. He said that we have to step not up, but down and become invisible, become nobody important. Jesus calls each and every one of his disciples to lower themselves and become the servants of all. And it is probably the second hardest thing any of us will ever do. The first being taking responsibility for the fact we're sinners and that we're to blame for the fact we're on our way to hell. I can't blame anybody else. I can't blame my religion. I can't blame my school. I can't blame anything but my own love of sin for me to be on the way to hell and to humble myself and say, God, save me. That is so hard for people to do. Haven't you found that? For, to, to get somebody to admit they're a sinner and in need of a savior, the highest uh, reach for most people, they just can't do it. But then after somebody gets saved, the second hardest thing will get them to step down again and serve. So Jesus asks us to let him change our selfish, self-serving, self-centered lives into this phrase we just read, into people that are servants of all. Now we're going to be going to Luke chapter 22, which is where we will see this again, but 
we'll see it in Luke's eyes, Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 14. It's Tuesday evening. It's the day of the Passover. Luke chapter 22, in verse 14. I'm going to read down to verse 23. And when the hour was come, he, Jesus, sat down, 22, 14, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you that I will not any more eat thereof until they be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He took bread and he gave thanks and he brake it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. What is going on? This is, he's taken some parts of the Passover meal and he's made it what he calls his remembrance supper. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, verse 20, likewise also the cup after, after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that, listen to that word, betrayeth me, is with me here at the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves, which of them that should do this thing. So here, Jesus has just celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, and he tries to get them to remember that the Passover was only a shadow of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Passover freedom from Egypt, his death was going to free them from sin. Now, he hasn't been betrayed yet, and this is very important. The one who is going to betray him is sitting at the table with him, and Jesus knows it. He warns his disciples that he's about to be betrayed. What does that mean? It means he's going to be sold into the hands of the Romans. He's going to be used for Judas's personal gain. He will even be abandoned by his closest of friends. He will be the worst of betrayed. Now they all begin to wonder, who would do such a thing? I, is, is it me? Is it him? They're all... Um, uh, kind of concerned who would do such a thing. But verse 24 is really funny because verse 24 says, and there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So it, it's this, this wonder of I, 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 who, would, who would betray our master, who would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it turned into a strange argument. They begin to proudly declare, I am loyal. Oh, I would never do it. And it began to become an argument around that table. Can you imagine? I'm sure you've never had an argument at your dinner table. But what was first a very somber, first a very joyful dinner at the Passover dinner, and then a very somber Lord's Last Supper. But now it's turned into an argument, a boasting session. Jesus is talking about being crucified. He's talking about, I'm going to go die for the sins of the world. And everyone at the table is talking about, well, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the most popular. I deserve a position in the coming kingdom. And it was at that time that Jesus put on a towel. He disrobed and he put on a towel around his waist. And he 
uh, bows down and he washes each of his disciples' feet, including Judas's, one by one until there was silence in the room. What a way to shut everybody up. And then he teaches them about how to be truly great. Because of all the things that, that um, of all the things that Jesus taught, the greatest thing he ever taught was how to serve others. So let's look in verse 24, and I want to show you something very amazing because the strife that happens there, verse 24 says, there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted, should be tallied up, should be seen and, and praised as the greatest. So I don't know if you can just visualize this. We never visualize that the disciples did anything wrong. I mean, surely Peter, James, John, they were holy men. They were, they were saints. No, no, no. They were human, and they got into arguments just like we do. But there was strife. I mean, there was all, it was almost going to come to blows at the table. That's what strife means. Jesus is talking about being crucified, and yet they're in arguing about yeah, but I, I'm, I'm on his side. I'm protecting him. There was arguing and fighting over who was going to be in charge in this new kingdom. Who was going to be the most important? Who was going to have the most power? They, um, uh, they were claiming places of honor in a future kingdom with Jesus as king. Peter wanted to be the minister of defense. Probably. James probably wanted to be the head of justice. If you know anything about their character traits, John probably wanted to be the head of health and human services. We have room up here in the front if you want to come. I know um, I, I kind of am scary, but you're welcome up here at the front. Judas was going to be the exchequer for sure, wasn't he, in charge of revenue. You know who was going to be in charge of that. Thomas probably wanted to be the head of the environment. He wanted to be out and away from everybody. They criticized each other's flaws, kind of like a political debate. You see... A group of people and all debating, what are they doing? They're pointing out why somebody else is not good enough to be in charge. And so they began to argue. This thing happened often. Go back to chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. This was not a once-off thing. Luke chapter 9 and verse 46. This is... Months, if not a year earlier, Luke chapter 9, verse 46, there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be what? They had this thing inside of them that they're going to be with Jesus into this kingdom. Jesus is going to be a powerful, wealthy ruler of Israel again, and they wanted to snuggle up to that power. Verse 47 says, And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. Whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. So you imagine, you get a chance to meet somebody. I know sometimes... Uh, people, they, 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 they meet somebody that's a famous movie star or they meet a, a, a famous um, a musician or somebody that's just very, very popular, very uh, important. And then a little child comes up to them and says, Mr., Mr., but you're talking to somebody very important. What do you normally do? Get away from me, kid. I'm busy. But Jesus said, wait a minute. That very important person is not nearly as important as that child. 
He says, if you accept me and take me in like you take that child, then you will be great. And that turns everything on his head. Um, go to Matthew now, Matthew chapter 20, because even James and John's mother gets in on this, month, this uh, power grab. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Then came to him, Jesus, the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What do you want? He saith, and she saith unto him, mm, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. Take care of my boys. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. And now she talks to, he talks to the boys, to James and John, men. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, sure, we are able, not knowing what they're saying. Verse 23, and he saith unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, speaking of his death. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with what? They were furious with indignation against the two brethren. You know why they were so upset? Because they were asking for what everybody already wanted to ask. And now it's been turned off and they're like, how come they got to ask first? What's going on here is a, a battle with pride. Proverbs 13, middle of your Bible, Psalms comes to Proverbs chapter 13. I want to show you this, and that's, well, I'll say it first. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. So if there is strife, if there is contention, between you and anybody else, it says, only by what? I only heard a little whisper. Say it with me. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Here, why was there contention in those disciples amongst themselves, even in the presence of Jesus? Because of pride, who's going to be the greatest. They were not being Christ-like. They were only being self-serving. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. And it's these people that Jesus is trying to change. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1. And I, brethren, so he's talking to Christians, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, spiritually minded, spiritually living, but I speak unto you as carnal, even as unto, what's the word? Would you like somebody calling you a baby? And yet he says, you're acting like babes. I'm talking to babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. And these were, these were Corinthian Christians been saved for years. It says, you're still babies. For whereas there is among you envying, and what's the next word? There's still fighting going on amongst the Christians. Strife, divisions. Are you net carnal? 
and walk as men. And look at verse 4. Verse 4 describes YouTube. For while, for while one saith, I'm following Paul, and another said, I'm of Apollos. I found his YouTube channel. He says, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But they were just simply ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. So Paul is, is developing the concept that these, these Christians, and we are the same, we get into the mindset of self-serving instead of serving others. And he has to break that. Go to Titus chapter 3, just before Hebrews, a little book called Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, speaking to the pastor, this is my job, it says, put them, put your audience in mind to be subject, submissive, obedient to principalities, those are government officials, and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to do good. Verse 2, to speak evil of how many people? Boy, is that a hard job. You ever find yourself just saying, this is how I feel, and they're wrong. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, that would be bad. Be gentle, showing all meekness unto how many men? Unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving. Instead of serving God, instead of serving others, we were serving diverse lusts and pleasure. Put next to that, and pillows. <laughs> we serve everything except God. Living in malice, that's how we live. Envy, hateful, and hating one another. Is that a good way to live or bad? That's a wicked way to live. I love verse 4, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which he have done, but according to his mercy. What did God do? He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the disciples are arguing, they're fighting because they completely misunderstood the kingdom. What did they think the kingdom was? They thought the kingdom was, was palaces. They thought the kingdoms was, were thrones. They thought the kingdoms was armies and weapons and battles physically head to head. And Jesus said, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's on a different level and they missed it all. Now go back to Luke 22, let's pick up, let's continue what's going on here. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus describes the way that the world works. Luke chapter 22, in verse 25 now. Jesus said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Note that word, kings, lords. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Now listen to the titles that world, uh, of world leaders that Jesus refers to here and rulers. He calls them kings and lords. In other places, he calls them rulers and authorities. You know what? These, these are people that, that govern and control entire nations. They exercise, push, their lordship and their authority over everyone under them. And you know what? When you're in charge, guess what? You reap the benefits. You get, you get the most pay. Uh, you get to convince people to give you raises when nobody else gets a raise. That's the power. That's the way the world works. 
You think a church should work that way? You think Christians should be allowed to work that way? I don't care what you do. That is not the way to get ahead in society and in your job. We're to do things differently. Look at verse 26. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Who's Jesus talking to? Is he talking to the wall? Is he talking to the angels? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to those people who want to be like Jesus, who want to live like him, who want to think like him. He's talking to us. And he says that the world's way, here's the word, is forbidden. Now I know, I know, this is the 21st century. Nothing is forbidden anymore. Amen? I mean, the only thing that's forbidden is, is talking bad about sin. But, wow, you can't say, you can't do that. Somebody said, you can't tell me what to do. Jesus forbids the world's way of living as a Christian. Did you know it's not forbidden for us to be leaders? When Jesus says to serve, he doesn't mean that you can't be in charge of things. You can't own your own business. You can't even, he doesn't say that you can't be successful. He's telling us that we are forbidden to act like a king. We can never make ourselves to think, let uh, make people think I'm very important and you're not. That is forbidden. Does everybody understand that? So start you a business, make it great, but you serve. If you ever get any type of position of power, nobody should think you're the head honcho. They should think you're the greatest servant. That's what they should know. We should, in, we should instead act and think and live simply as servants. You know what that means? As inferior. Well, I'm not inferior, brother. Uh, act like it. We should act like younger. We should act as servants. Now, that's hard to convince people of. Would you agree? If I said that to a group of men, I said, I want you to go home and I want you to be inferior in the home to your wife and honor her as better than you. I did that once, it didn't work. <laughs> what you mean is you tried to manipulate her. Serve her. Amen. Ladies, you go home and act inferior. You're not inferior. Amen. But you're to act like it. You're to put yourself and to try to be a blessing to that husband, to those children. They don't run your life, but you're there to serve. Amen. I didn't get any amens. I heard some up in heaven. Amen. A completely different way of looking at your life. Jesus calls us, verse 26, he says, But ye shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, as the one who is not mature yet, the one who hasn't been around the block a couple of times, the one who, they may be smart, but they never let on. You know, the, the, the best wife can be super smart, but she lets her husband think he's smart. Amen. The best and the, the, the most powerful husband may know exactly what to do, but he surrenders and he says, what do you want to do? Well, that's a great idea. Well, we're going to die. <laughs> but we're, That's service, and it is so foreign to us. 
He wants us to live a completely different way of living. There are authorities in our life, aren't there? There are government authorities. Some of you may, every once in a while, you're driving along, and then somebody steps out. This has happened to me. It's really gutting. Somebody steps out, and he's got a hairdryer in his hand. It's not a hairdryer. It's a speed gun. And he goes, and I have to pull over, and he says, you're going 70 and a 50. And I go, I didn't see a sign. He says, it's back there behind that tree. <laughs> and it was like, he has such power, doesn't he? I mean, at that point, he wins. Amen? Now, here's the truth. There are authorities in our life. There are government authorities. There are parental authorities. Boy, I was in the shop this morning, and this little kid, no older than three, was just kicking and screaming. Mom's trying to pull him. She's got, she's got three cups of coffee in her left hand. She's got her boy in her right hand, and he's kicking and screaming. And he's, she's here, and she's got a hot chocolate for him. And so she lets go, and she grabs the hot chocolate. She says, here, you want this? And he goes, no! Now, thankfully, she had a good hold on that hot chocolate. But the kid has no authority over him, does he? There are parental authorities, aren't there? You had a dad probably, there's enough of us old enough to remember dad. All he had to do was look at us and we went, yes, sir. <laughs> there is a parental authority and there is pastoral authority. And we are commanded to obey them. But we were not, we were not saved to be authorities. Listen to this. When God saved you and me, he saved us to serve. to humble ourselves and serve all people as if they were better than us. Did you know serving is actually the model for all democratic countries in this world? So what do you mean? Uh, you ever heard of ministers of state? Where'd that word minister come from? From your Bible. From your King James Bible, by the way. Ministers of saint, uh, state. What is the head of England called? Not the queen. She's a figurehead. Boris Johnson is the prime, the prime servant. Did you get that? That's his title. He is the prime, he's the head servant. Where'd he get that from? Jesus Christ. He doesn't even realize it. 99.9% .9 of the population of England and Ireland don't realize that good governments that are safe, they're not perfect, they're not great, but good governments, democratic governments that operate by the people and all that stuff, come from the Bible and their leaders are expected to be servants. Amen? Hmm. Here's the problem. We never will actually start serving like we're supposed to until we desire no longer to be first, no longer to be chief, no longer to be great when we desire to be the servant of all. You're in Luke. I need you um, go to Mark chapter 9. Hold your place here. Go to Mark chapter 9 again in verse 35. Mark 9, 35. We read this earlier, but I want to read it again because it says something that we kind of skip over. Mark 9, 35 says, And he, Jesus, sat down, he called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, prime, head, chieftain is the word here in Ireland. Tishuk means chieftain. If you want to be chieftain, 
The same shall be last of all and the servant of how many? The servant of all. We're supposed to have a completely different way of looking at our lives. Back there in Luke chapter 22, look at verse 27. Uh, still in chapter 26, uh, verse 26, sorry. Jesus asks a simple question. Actually, it should be 27. Didn't update that. Luke 22, 27. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat at a restaurant, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. Jesus asks a simple question. Who's greater? Who's the greater person? Who's more important? Which kind of person is thought to be, thought of being greater, more important, more powerful? Is it, is it the guy sitting at the restaurant table or the person serving them? What would it be like if it was reversed? <laughs> what if the restaurant owner saw you come in and didn't see you as an important person to serve, but only as somebody, a sucker to rob? What if and a business only saw you as a customer to take advantage of. Well, you'd write, you'd write a bad report about them in travel um, blogs and things. And you would, you would go to, their, go to the, the head maitre d' or go to the owner and say, this place never treated me with respect. What if the waiter didn't care about your time, your questions, your requests, and instead just told you what you should eat tonight? <laughs> There was a place, when I was in Bible college, there was a place called Red's Hamburger Shop, but he built, it, he built his sign himself, and he started from the top, and he said Red's, and then Hamburg, and he ran out of space, so it just stopped at Hamburg. <laughs> I went there one time, and the, the, the neat thing about going to, his name was Red, I don't know what his real name was, Red was kind of a well-fed cook who made, just made hamburgers. And he had about 15 different kinds of hamburgers up there. And when you came in, what was fun was you went in and he says, you want a number three. And you say, no, I want a five. No, no, you're getting a three. And you couldn't argue with him. You got a number three. That's all you got. And then if you didn't like the onions, you have to pick them off yourself. You couldn't tell. What if that was what a restaurant was really all about was telling you, uh, you get this. And no, no, I came in here for that. You know, it's nice when you go into a restaurant and they treat you like the king. Amen. When they treat you like family, that's the place you want to go back to, isn't it? Well, Jesus agreed, that's how it should be. He says, it is right that the person sitting at the meal, the person sitting at the table is more important than the servant. That is what we have to get our heads around. We all want to be the guy served. And Jesus says, no, the person that is being served is more important than you. I don't want you to be the one that is getting the benefit. I want you, now that you're saved, I want you to be the servant of all. He turns everything upside down. He declares that even though he should be, look there in verse 27. Read it with me again. For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, the guy sitting at the table? But I, the Lord of heaven, am among you as he that serveth. Think about that for a few moments. He swapped places with the inferior, with us. The truth is, so should you and I. We should swap places with the people we normally think are beneath us. We should serve them like they are more important than anything else we have to do. 
You say, but then I won't get to do what I want to do. Yeah, right. Do you know what I find out? When you put others first, you put God's first, you actually have more time, you have more health, you have more sanity, you have more joy. You know, when you just put God and others first, you actually are better off. I believe with all my heart. I'm proof of it. So what does a servant actually do? Well, let me tell you, first, servants never become great. They are the ones who make others great. Would you remember that? As a Christian, you're not here to be great. You're here to make someone else great. A servant serves. I read this quote yesterday. I thought it was very good. God will never ask you how many talents or abilities you had. He only cares how you use them. That's very convicting. Oh, God, <laughs> look what I can do. I'll do it for you. The Lord said, I just want to see you do it. Don't brag on it. Just use what I gave you. Serving means to, listen, serving. Say, what does serving mean? Serving means working for someone else. To wait for a command to do something for someone else, like a waiter or a waitress. Serving means to please someone beside yourself. 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you're married, if a man is married, he careth for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. She that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. That's service. It's very humbling, isn't it? To help someone carry their burden. Oh, by the way, this was really cute. This is, I mean, all the fads that are going around, this is a real fad that ought to be going around. Think about it for a minute. Um, instead of, there's a, there's, a, there's a part of most, um, trying to find my note here. There's a part of most weddings where the, where the bride takes off a garter and throws it at the other girls, which I never liked. I think it never should be part of a Christian wedding. You don't want to be part of a Christian wedding where the husband vows to the wife and says to have and to hold, to cherish, uh, to love and protect from this day forward never uh, and forever, and to spend my life serving you. Hear that woman looking at that future husband of hers in a few moments and saying to have and to hold, to cherish, to love, to obey, to... to um, uh, to spend my life serving you. At this wedding, he's taken off her shoes and he's washing her feet. I've never seen it done. I'd like to see it done because that testifies the husband is not going to rule over her. He will serve her. That's a good way to start. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. You know, going on, a servant serves. Hey, by carrying burden. Oh, let's see. I'll come to this. Um, let me go. It means to carry someone's burdens. Galatians 6 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What should be really, re really true in a Christian church is we don't go gossiping and we don't go finding out everybody's problems, but when we're aware of somebody having a problem, we never talk about it. You know what we do? We do something about it. We step in and help them. We find out they need a ride. We find out they, they, listen, they need money. That's carrying one another's burdens. And you know what that is? That's hard. That's serving. 
Hmm. It means to forgive someone who hurts you, no matter how deeply, because you desire to serve them instead of destroy them. You see, when you change the way you live, do you know what, you know what nurses put up with? Do you know what nurses? How many of you want to be a nurse? Anybody in this room? You know, uh, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-olds, they all want to be nurses. But after you've been down at CUH or Mercy Hospital for a few months or a few years, you want to change careers because you're abused. You are, you are fought when you're trying to help. Listen, a servant is going to be mistreated. I'm going to talk about this in, in, in a moment. But I want to say, you go ahead and forgive because you're there to serve, not because it's a great way of living. Hmm. You serve everybody. Let me ask you a question. Who won't you serve? That's a tough question. Who won't you serve? There was no one that Jesus refused. Aren't you glad? God so loved this wicked world that he gave his only begotten son for the whole world. You and I often have issues with one another, problems with one another, and we have problems trying to honor and serve other people, especially some people that just rub us the wrong way. And it may not just be in us to want to bless them and be kind to them. But you know what the Bible says? Do it anyway. We're supposed to become more and more like Jesus. And that, becomes, that means becoming more and more a servant of all. A servant serves everybody. A servant, think about, you just meet needs. You just see somebody and they're in trouble. They're in need. You say, well, I don't have any money. I bet you do. Well, I'm busy. I bet you're just going to go home and watch TV. You know, I was watching a bunch of teenage, not teenagers, college students sitting there bragging, and, not bragging, but they were barking at the Irish government saying, we want this drug for HIV. And it was absolutely abhorrent. And this, this uh, guy at the front was sitting there saying, it's going to cost us, if, if we have to pay for it ourselves, it's going to cost us 50 euros a week for us to be able to pay for this drug to keep us out of trouble with HIV, that's our drinking money. <sighs> Let them starve. You see how they're thinking? You see how the next generation, that's the next generation is going to vote, folks. That's different. See, and that's in the church. That's where you say, well, you know, if I give my money away, I won't be able to go buy that new game. I won't be able to do this. I won't be able to go on holiday. Are you a servant? Probably not. Probably not. Because a servant suffers. It's in the job description. <laughs> a servant always is treated wrongly by someone. And it's usually someone you love. <laughs> someone close to you. Jesus said, he said, Judas? And Judas kissed him, man. His closest disciple. You know, there's a high cost of being a servant. Don't have time to take you there, but Jesus said, except you deny yourself, except you die daily. <laughs> mm. You know what a, a servant does? A servant says yes to the place God has them in. Where does the Lord have you? Say, well, I'm not the pastor. If I was a pastor, I'd do things different. Well, maybe you're not the pastor. You want to be the head honcho? You want to be the most popular in school or at the office or in your home? You know what Jesus says? Serve like I do. Are you married? Paul says stay married and serve your wife and your, or your husband. Are you single? Stay single until God brings the right person in your life and just serve everybody. 
Are you unappreciated? And Pastor, nobody, nobody notices what I do. Go ahead and keep serving right there. Do you know God notices everything you do? And he will one day, he will shout it from the housetops. You guys never knew what so-and-so did. And I'm going to let the whole world, the whole universe know how proud I am of so-and-so. And you will feel this big because you complained about not getting any attention. Are you underpaid? Yes, Pastor. <laughs> let me warn you, every time you complain about your boss not appreciating you, not paying you enough, God says, you know, I had a reward for you and you blew it. Don't complain, just serve like that's Jesus Christ. Are you living in Cork? Are you living in Middleton? Are you living in, in Ireland here? Don't just constantly say, I wish I was out of here. I wish I was someplace else. You know, we need some people who stay. We need some people who say, this is where God has me. And I'm not going to wait till I get someplace else. I'm going to serve here and now. That's what a church is, a place where we serve. <laughs> there in Luke 22, Jesus says, a servant's going to be stressed and tested while he or she is serving. Look at verse 31. Luke 22, 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, take you to part, rip you to shreds. But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, when you're changed, I want you to strengthen thy brethren. The reality is, if there's anything the devil hates, it's anyone that starts looking like, acting like Jesus Christ. And he will tear you to shreds every time. You do not see that already. Every time you try to put something into your life that's good, anytime you try to make a decision to do right, to humble yourself, is not the devil right there pulling the rug out from under you? Jesus says, don't quit. Just get through it when you're changed serve. In this room this morning, I'm going to warn you, there are way too many people who only need one little thing to go wrong or to be said wrong, and you're out, and you leave, and you quit. That's not Christ. That's not Christian. Beware of how the devil wants to have you instead of Christ. You're going to be stressed. But a real servant settles into serving. Look at back there, look in verse 35. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and without script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. So here's the point. When they first started serving God, every need was met. There, were, there was nobody that got in their way. Nobody could stop them. Everything they did was a success. He says, Ah. Keep going, verse 36. But he said unto them, But now... He that hath a purse, let him take it. It's a wallet. And likewise, his scrip. And he that hath no sword, oh boy, you better sell one of your garments and buy one. For I say unto you that this that is written must be accomplished in me. He says it's going to affect all of them. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. Things are going to change. And he's saying, look, make this your way of life. Never let Never let the fact that things are easy or hard just serve. When it's easy, praise God. When it gets hard and you have to get a job, have to get a second job, when you have to put up with problems and struggles and heartaches, just serve. Stay serving. 
And lastly, you never really are serving people. You know, when you serve people, you're not really serving people. You know who you're serving? Go to Colossians 3. Hold your place here in Luke and just go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 and verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily with all your heart as to who? The Lord and not unto men. Whatsoever you do. Who are you really serving? Look at verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve not people, but you serve the Lord Christ. If you ever have a job where you are serving people, guess what you do? You get tired of people. But if you serve the Lord, even though there are people there, people don't wear you out because you do it as unto the Lord. Everyone benefits. Oh, this is you. A servant is what you are supposed to be like at work, at school, and everywhere. That's People ought not to think that you're theologically advanced, that you're intellectually more intelligent. They ought to know that's a servant. And that's what Christ was like. Everybody benefits. Look at verse 28 and we'll finish. Back there in Luke 22, verse 28. Go back there. Look at the benefits of serving Christ. Verse 22, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a future kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you'll sit on thrones judging one day the 12 tribes of Israel. Look at the benefits. The benefits of serving Christ is a new kingdom. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm alive right now, but I'm looking forward to a better kingdom. Amen. In that kingdom, it's called the millennium, there are thrones and there are millennial responsibilities. It's unbelievable what's ahead for the Christian. I don't care how good you think life is now. It's dirt compared to what's ahead for the Christian. Listen to how Paul excites the Christians. He says there's an eternal inheritance in heaven. Hmm. Incorruptible. First Peter says an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away. He says, you know, the world will be benefited. You say, I don't get anything. Man, when I go to church and I'm helping out you pastors set up and take down, and when I'm doing all this thing, I don't get anything out of it. Yeah, but a lot of other people do. When I'm on job and I want to give out to my boss and I just want to complain and I want to gripe and I want to go on strike, but instead, when I just keep working and I keep serving and I keep honoring everybody else, hates me, and, and I don't get ahead. Let me tell you, that boss is impressed, and when everybody else is being let go, he'll keep you. He'll keep you. The world gets a benefit when you serve. Just because you serve. If you only knew how great our reward will be in heaven, you would serve today with all your might. If you really realized, if you could just stop and realize how good that day will be when Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful, successful businessman. Thou good and faithful YouTube debater. Thou good and faithful um, uh, house ruler or whatever you think you're trying to be. Oh, how, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you'll go, I wish I had served more. 
I wish I'd humble myself more. I wish I kept my mouth shut more. I wish I just helped and blessed and, and honored and did what other people wanted. Because that's doing what you want, Lord. Now next week, is this is all building up to Ministry Sunday. Next week we're going to talk about everybody's got a gift to serve. Every one of us have something that God has enabled us to do since we got saved. Going to help you try to find your gift and how to use it to serve Him because that's why we were here. That's why we're here. That's why we are, are saved. It's to serve Him. But in conclusion, what would a home be like if it was full of servants? What do you think? wonder what your home would be like if from this moment on you became a servant of others. What would church be like if everyone saw themselves as servants? I'll tell you. Are you ready? You'll be here early. You'll come looking for something to do to get ready to minister to others. You will make sure a visitor has, a, has an opportunity to get a cup of tea, has, knows that there's somebody who's glad that they're there. Mm. What would church be like if all the members of a body of believers were here and not, well, you know, I'm busy. You know, I got this going on. No. If we just served instead of criticized, if we just saw everyone else as better than ourselves. You say, where is that? I think that's very backward, Pastor. That's not very psychological. Listen to the Bible, Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Going back to our verses. But in lowliness of mind, zeroness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I don't care what a psychologist tells you. You're not number one. You're not even number two. You're zero. You're not even supposed to be thinking about yourself. Think of others. What would a community be like if a large portion of people were servants in that community instead of self-serving? I think Christians ought to be the hardest working employees. We ought to be the most helpful neighbors. We ought to be the people most concerned about people instead of performance. Well, my, my neighbors never talked to me one day, one minute of all of our 10 years here. Uh, maybe you need to go and talk to them. Maybe you just need to, after the rubbish bins have all been collected, the rubbish bins are out in the middle of the road, why don't you go and grab them and bring them up and set them up by the side of the house, of their house, not your house, <laughs> their house, and just be a blessing to them. I'll ask you this. If you tell me who you won't serve, I'll show you your new mission. Think about that. Whether it's so-and-so and he really upset me years ago, I'll, I don't want anything to do with him. That's your new mission. Jesus said to bless and to do good unto those that curse you. Will you step down and start serving? Why would I do that, Pastor? Because you have to. The opposite of being a servant is, are you ready? Is being a master. And that position is already filled. There's, there, in Christianity, there's not room for masters. We have one master. And if you find this hard to just step down and bite your tongue and do what somebody asks of you, do, and you, and you hate it when you go, all right, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and then they tell you, go, I hate this. Join the company. We all hate that. It rubs against us. But that's how God transforms us into the likeness of His Son. But I'll tell you this, only a born-again Christian, somebody who's been saved by trusting Jesus Christ, will at least want to serve. 
will hate it when there is strife among God's people and will struggle against their pride and will strive to humble themselves to the point of embarrassment just so they can please Jesus. Only a Christian does that. If you're not saved, I'm going to tell you, today's the day you could get saved. Jesus served you. When he went on that cross, he took your place so you could go free. He took all the punishment so that you could be forgiven. He served you. And he asks you to accept that gift. But let me tell you, once you accept that gift, your life will not be one of royalty. Your life will be one of, now I get to serve. Would you please stand and bow your heads? These are the hardest kind of messages to hear. It's the hardest messages also to preach sometimes because they're not in harmony with our, our way of life. It wasn't easy for the disciples in the first century and it's not easy for us in the 21st century. But it's a must. It is a desperate must. Christianity does not thrive based on perfect preaching. It does not thrive, every head bowed, please, every eye closed, no one looking around. It does not thrive on, on money. It doesn't thrive on, on musical performance. It doesn't thrive on anything physical. It thrives on humility and on service of all. And so we come, and I'm sure there's probably only 10 to 15% of this room will appreciate what this message was all about. And the rest will go, meh. My heart goes out to you because you're missing the greatest joy. You cannot know the joy that comes by being a servant, by only dabbling in it. It's an all in. You say, I, I, I can't do it. Of course you can't do it. That's why the Holy Spirit came in you to help you. We ask him to help you. Dear friend, if you're not saved, let me ask you, please. You, can, you say, I don't even know how to pray to get saved. I don't know what to do to get saved. You know, God will help you. I'll take, I'll take as long as I, I can to, to answer your questions, get you to understand you can trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for you. Father, we bow before you. I wish we could say we were a humble people, but we're not. We're a proud arrogant, arguing kind of people that would make anyone run. There's so much of ourselves and so little of you. So, starting with me, throughout this room, I pray there would be a hunger and a desire to be what you saved me to be, the servant of all to not care about what I'm asked to do, to not care the fact that I may be the only one doing it, but that I get to do it. I get to serve because I want to do it for you. In Jesus' name, amen.